0: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. We we appreciate especially those who may be watching today for the first time. Occasionally I have people tell me, "Brother Lambert, I was just sort of flipping through the channels one day and I, I saw your program and I've been watching it ever since. We appreciate those who flip through the channels and find getting to know your Bible. And we as, we also appreciate those who watch every time we come on the air. Now now today on our telecast we're going to be discussing this topic, the sure foundation, the sure foundation. I hope that you'll stay tuned. On Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. May I emphasize as strongly as I know how, this course is free. We want you to have it. We want you to have advantage of studying the Bible using this Bible course. We have thousands of people all over the world that are studying it. I get letters all the time from people who are telling me how much they've enjoyed the course, how much it's enhanced their knowledge of the Bible, how it's improved their spiritual lives. We want you to have the free Bible course. And Of course, I understand you might want to know some more about the course, that you might know even how to receive the course, but may I say again, the course is free. Now that you might know more about it, that you might know how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. I want to read now from the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, and verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation whoever believes, will not act hastily. The imagery that is drawn in this passage is from the practice of kings to lay stones at the corners of their buildings. It was called the cornerstone. There are at least two conceptions as to how the word corner is used. First of all, it would be the foundation stone on which the entire structure rested. And then a second way that is used, it would be the topmost or the capstone which which, which linked the last tier of stones together. In both cases, the usage is messianic. Christ being the chief cornerstone, Jesus being the foundation stone, Jesus being the sure foundation, Jesus being the first and the last. So so the reference you see here in the book of Isaiah is not to the temple, but it's to the Lord himself. For example, in Acts, the fourth chapter, and in verse 11, the Bible says, This is the stone which was rejected of you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here the imagery is to Christ himself. Jesus is the sure foundation. Now the foundation of a structure is extremely important. Think, for example, about the foundation that must be under the Empire State Building. It'd have to be a very sure foundation, a solid foundation. Uh, likely, and I'm not really aware of how the foundation was built, but I know how other foundations are built. They go deeply into the earth and begin to lay that foundation down in the earth. And then when that structure is built on that foundation, it's going to stand. It's not going to fall. You see, the foundation is important. If a structure is built upon a shoddy foundation, a weak foundation, it's not going to stand. A religion that is built on a shoddy foundation will not stand as as well. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about a man building, and he built upon the sand, And after he built his house on the sand, the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, a religion that's built on sand will not stand. If it's built on human goodness, it's not going to stand. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he hath saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Our goodness, our human goodness, is just like filthy rags in the sight of God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. A religion that is built on man-made traditions, man-made doctrines, that results in man-made organizations is not going to stand. In Matthew 15, and Jesus said, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Then in verse 13, he said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. For something to stand, it must be uh, founded upon or rest upon a sure foundation. Sometimes men built on their opinions. There are many religious orders and organizations that are built strictly on the opinions of men and not upon the authority of God. We should have God's authority for everything that we say, everything that we teach, everything that we practice, in matters that pertain to the soul. All authority resides in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus said, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And hence, when we need to respect the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I say with kindness, any organization of a religious nature that's built on a foundation other than Christ is not authorized of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the foundation of the New Testament church. You see, he is the stone. He is the stone. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42, Jesus there said, Have you not read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. In Ephesians the second chapter in verse 20, There the Bible says, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus is a tried stone. He is a precious stone. Jesus is a sure foundation. Jesus is the rock upon which the New Testament church is built. In Matthew 16, in verse 16, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The Greek word for Peter means a small pebble. The word that Jesus used for uh, the word rock that Jesus used, uh, that upon which the church would be built, was not a pebble but a stone or a boulder, huge rock. And the foundation. Of the church is not Peter, but the foundation is upon the confession that Peter made in verse 16, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the New Testament church. Now the foundation of the New Testament church was laid in Zion. The city of Jerusalem is built upon four hills, or rather seven hills. The city of Jerusalem is referred to by some as the city of seven hills. Mount Zion is one of those hills. And Zion came to be the the name that was synonymous with Jerusalem. I want to read to you now from Isaiah, the second chapter, and I want to read verses 2 and 3. These, this is a prophecy about the beginning of the Lord's house, about the beginning of the church, the kingdom of God, and where it would begin. Listen to verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it many people shall come and say come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord was first preached in uh, Jerusalem. The word of the Lord was first preached in Zion, that is Jerusalem. And this is often spoken of in the New Testament as already having taken place. That is, that the word of the Lord has already been laid in Zion. In uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, uh, there is a very significant passage along that line. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. That's Jerusalem. And he says, it's the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And so here it's spoken of as already having been laid in Zion. He's talking here about the heavenly Jerusalem, about the church in its heavenly state. Now there is a a significant thing about Jerusalem, that is Zion. Isaiah said the word of the Lord would go forth from Zion, that it would go forth from Jerusalem. And the first recorded gospel sermon under the Worldwide Commission, was preached in the city of Jerusalem. In the city of Jerusalem. And so that was the fulfillment of the prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 2, that the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem and it would come out of Zion. And so that is exactly what happened. And that's recorded in your Bible in the second chapter of Acts. Follow along with me, if you will, from the second chapter of Acts. Verse 1 reads, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The first gospel sermon was preached on the day of Pentecost, and it was in Jerusalem. And uh, the day of Pentecost was, uh, was the 50th day. And it, it was the day following 49 days. The, the, seven, there were, the Jews were to count seven Sabbath days, or 49 days. And on the day following that, which would have been the first day of the week, or Sunday is what we know as Sunday, they were to observe Pentecost. So the events in the second chapter of Acts took place on the day of Pentecost. It took place in Jerusalem. Verse 5 says, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So it was on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. And the apostle Peter preached a sermon to these people. If you'll notice verse 22 beginning, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. He is actually saying there that Jesus Christ was a man approved of God, and God approved Christ by the various miracles and the wonders and the signs which he performed. And he says, and you know it. You know I'm telling you the truth. He said, as ye yourselves also know. The thing I find interesting is these people didn't deny it. He said, him being delivered by the determinate counsel or determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So not only is he preaching that Jesus Christ was a man sent from God, he's preaching now that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he was raised from the dead. Now let's continue reading. For David says concerning him, this is a prophecy of David found back in the 16th Psalm. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad, Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, beginning in verse 29, Peter is adding some comments, inspired comments, on the prophecy of David. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And so he said David was predicting the resurrection of Jesus. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received from the, promise, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, tell I make your enemies your footstool. So that again is a quotation from David. And then notice verse 36 carefully, please. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he says, I want you to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the one that was crucified was the Son of God. He was both Lord and Christ. Now notice carefully verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Friends, there's not a more important question that anyone would ever ask than that one. What shall we do or what shall I do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, in Zion where Isaiah had predicted the word of the Lord would go forth from Zion from Jerusalem and now Peter's preaching the gospel in Jerusalem and he's preaching about Jesus about his life, about his death, about his resurrection and the people ask what shall we do? What shall we do? I'm not much interested in what men say in answer to that question? Because in in response to that question, what shall we do? Men say a variety of things. Sometimes they even say things you cannot read in the Bible. So I want to know what did the Apostle Peter tell these people when they asked, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Well, is there anything else we need to do Peter, and let every one of you be baptized by, and who, by, and the, by the, whose authority in the name of Jesus Christ and for what reason? Why should we repent and be baptized? For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here the people were told to repent and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And there was a great result of this sermon Peter preached. Look in verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Isn't it thrilling to know that about 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost? And let me tell you what God did with these people. Verse 47. Here's what God did with them. Praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So God added these people to the church. God is the one who did the adding to the church. They were not voted on. People did not raise their hands and ask if they would be accepted into the church. That was God's business. And here we find the first gospel sermon being preached in the city of Jerusalem. And I want you to consider these logical conclusions. A church that began in a city other than in the city of Jerusalem started in the wrong place because the New Testament church was to begin in the city of Jerusalem. A church that started on a day other than Pentecost started on the wrong day because you see the church of the New Testament began on the day of Pentecost, that is on the first day of the week. A a church that heard a message other than the word, other than the one heard in Acts chapter 2 heard the wrong message. Now there are all kinds of messages today. But if you've heard a message other than the one that we read about here in the second chapter of Acts, you've heard the wrong message. And a church that was given an answer to the question, what shall we do, other than the answer given by the apostle Peter, has received the wrong answer. Those are just logical conclusions. The church began in Jerusalem back to Jerusalem. This is a plea that I make today. We need to get back to the gospel as it was first preached in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, Jeroboam uh, uh, did not want the people to go back to Jerusalem for fear that they would fall under the uh, leadership of the king, Rehoboam. And so he set up altars at Bethel and Dan. He says, too much for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too much. And for many people today, it's just too much to go back to the Jerusalem gospel. That is the gospel as it was first preached in the city of Jerusalem. There's a great need today to go back to Jerusalem. To go back to the gospel as it was preached in the first century, that to God go back to the gospel, as it was preached on the day of Pentecost, Go back beyond the traditions and the teachings of men to the pure gospel of Jesus. Let us restore the New Testament church, not divide, not reform, but let's restore. Jesus is the foundation and we may, may we be sure we're building our lives thereupon. I want to thank you for watching today. May I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And may I also urge you right now to pick up the telephone, call for the Bible course. Until we meet again. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, is my prayer.
0: We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com. Or call us anytime at 1 711
1: 5214.